So when I thought about what to talk about today, I thought of a man named Larry Walters, or AKA Lawn Chair Larry. You may have heard of this guy. One day, Larry Walters decided to go to an Army Navy supply store, and he bought 45 used weather balloons, inflated them, and attached them to the lawn chair he had secured in the back of his pickup truck. His hope, one of his friends said, was to observe the neighborhood from a slightly different angle and gain a new perspective on life. The only thing Larry had with him was a peanut butter sandwich, a six-pack of beer, and a BB gun. He would shoot the balloons to come down. The question I always had was, where was his wife in all this? I mean, come on. She probably had her own six-pack when she knew what he was up to. So two and a half hours later, Larry found himself 16,000 feet in the air. Do the math for you. Three miles in the air. He had drifted 100 miles away from the security of his neighborhood when finally a pilot spotted him and phoned into LAX that I see a man who looks perfectly still sitting in a lawn chair. <laughs> LAX put a UFO out. It backed up traffic for miles on the LA freeways. Flights were delayed and all that. Uh, Larry was finally brought down. He shot a couple holes in the balloons. The SWAT team got him. Gave him a $4,000 ticket, no jail time. When they asked Larry, uh, you know, why did you get so high? He said, you know, I expected to drift up. I got shot to 2,000 feet instantly, and I did the first thing I could think of. He opened a can of beer. <laughs> the question for Larry was, would you ever do it again? He said, no way. When they asked him why he did it, he said, I was just tired of sitting around. Larry reminds me of a lot of Christian leaders and a lot of Christians. Reminds me of myself 25 years ago. We're just tired of sitting around. I got saved in my early 20s. God put a dream in my heart. Uh, I would come to church and hear great sermons. I would read in the book of Acts. And I would dream of this community like we see now. Now, Delaware County was hard soil, almost like a jackhammer, and then you could plant your seeds. And we would pray all the time, God, uh, would you have us start a Bible-believing church where we could build community and see something like we see in the book of Acts? And back then, it seemed what we were about to do was radical. And when I hear that word today, and I know it's popular in the church, and there's even books on how to be radical for God, what scares me is there are Christians who want to be radical but what we're finding is 90% of all evangelicals, 9 out of 10 people in this room, haven't shared Christ with a non-family member in the last five years. 9 out of 10 people in this room haven't shared Christ with a non-family member in the last five years. Most evangelism in the church today is done by people who have been saved five years or less. And we talk about doing something radical. We talk about selling everything and going to Africa or to Asia. And when I look at the early church, you know what radical was? Radical was just the normal obedience to the teachings of Jesus. That's all it was. They were countercultural. They were radical because they were just following the words and the teachings of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, 42 is a creedal text for all churches. Um, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them as anyone had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, that was like their large group, 
And breaking bread from house to house, that was their small group, they ate their food with simplicity and gladness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Guess what the Lord was doing while they were doing all this? He was adding to the church. It's right in your Bible, those who should be saved. I think if you went up to an early church person and said, this is amazing, what's going on? How is this church growing? What is going, what is the secret of all this? They would have looked at you quizzically and said, we have no idea. We're just following the words of Jesus. We're a worshiping church, we're an evangelizing church, we love to learn, the supernatural's going on, but we're only following what the master taught us and what Jesus taught them was to serve one another. That was countercultural. That was radical. Uh, we had a wedding for John Clifford, one of our pastors, Friday night. John went from prison and drug addiction to being a pastor. It's a real cool story. And so we had to set the church up, and we had the reception upstairs. It was beautiful and wonderful. And I just walked around, and I stared and observed. And I saw people setting up and cleaning up who set up and cleaned up 25 years ago. No entitlement. It's not like been there, done that. It's not like our serving's over. It's in our DNA. We serve. It's radical. It's what made the early church attractive. The purpose of the early church wasn't to grow or even to survive. They were just there to serve each other and love each other, and they had all things in common. And guess what God did? He grew a church. 3,000 were at it and 5,000 were at it. Now, when you look at the book of Acts, and when you look at the entire Bible, growth is God's idea. Not size, growth. Healthy things grow. I teach you guys that all the time. I want to give you a few scriptures that talk about growth, because it's so important. 1 Peter 2.2 says, you must crave pure spiritual milk that you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. Craving the word of God. Cry out for this nourishment as a baby cries for milk. Now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Paul told the Corinthians, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as mature. I had to talk to you as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk and not solid food because you couldn't handle anything stronger because you were controlled by your sinful desires. Then Hebrews 5 says, you've been Christians a long time now. You ought to be teaching others. In other words, you should have grown. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things of beginning the life, the basic things of the scriptures. You're like babies who drink only milk and cannot eat solid food. person who's living on milk isn't going to get very far in the Christian life and doesn't know much about what doing right is. Solid food is for those who are mature, who have trained themselves to recognize the difference between right and wrong and then to do what is right. When I look at our growth in the last, last 25 years, obviously our footprint is larger. We have 24 acres, 80,000 square feet of building space, all kinds of ministries. But what I'm really proud of is how much we've grown, and I mean as people. We've grown in our values, our convictions. We've grown in that we've stepped out of the pew. So many of the folks that we want to celebrate aren't here because they're out doing ministry in other churches in other states. That's so cool. They carry our DNA. And then I look at how we've grown over the years in our love for the inner city, for extreme poverty and suffering around the world, marginalized people in our communities. Uh, yesterday, Walk Her Home was a ministry that came out of our church, somebody in our church who looked at what we were involved in, in human trafficking and the sex trafficking, and somebody stepped out of the pew and launched that ministry. That's growth. That's 
people growing over the years and God saying, step out. You can't just sit around anymore. That's radical. Now, how does a church grow? How do people grow? How does a family grow? Answer, organically. You all know that word, right? Millennials, right? They all shop at these places. They buy organic food. That's why they're broke, right? Uh, we know what organic is now. We've all learned. You can take financial peace in the spring. Uh, there is a parable Jesus taught that nobody reads that has been really my life ministry verse. It's Mark chapter 4, verse 9, where Jesus gave us one of the secrets of the kingdom of God. He said, it's as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day. The seed should sprout and grow. Get this, he doesn't know how. For the earth yields crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the, great, when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. To grow anything takes five ingredients. Four of them are God's job. Only one is ours. God gives us the unadulterated seed. No one's ever created seed before. God gives us the fertile soil. No one's ever created soil. Uh, God makes the sun come out. He makes it to rain. And all we do is sow the seed and put in the sickle when the harvest has come in. Jesus said the soil produces growth, get this, all by itself. Automate in the Greek, automatically. That's where we get our English word. The man knows not how it happens. But we run to all these how-to seminars. And we buy all these how-to books. Now, I'm not against any of that. But here's the cool thing from this parable. Jesus said basically every Christ follower is qualified for ministry. Because your only job is to cast seed and then bring in the harvest. Now, my stepdad was a landscaper. And I watched him sow seed. Put his hand in the bag, and he went like this. Now, he was a professional, but I didn't take a professional to sow seed. You could, behind your back, under your leg, you could sow seed any way you want. Put it in a spreader. It doesn't take a professional to sow seed. Whenever we've turned church over to the professionals, it died. Whenever we give it back to the people, things just take off like a rocket. Jesus said the cool thing is anybody can sow seed, and everybody should sow seed. Now, Ephesians 4 says God has given us ministry gifts. There's pastors, teachers, elders, evangelists. For, for what? The ministering of the saints, for what we're doing right now, so we can go out and cast seed. That's the purpose of the church. We gather here, we go cast seed. Church growth is slow, it's organic, it takes time. In 25 years, I've read every church trend, every paradigm shift that you could possibly read. I have 20 books on church. And I still believe you have to sow seed and watch it grow. Now, Rick Warren has contemporized this. This is kind of a West Coast idea, but it makes sense. Rick writes that God makes waves, surfers just ride them. No surfer tries to create waves. If the waves aren't there, you just don't surf that day. On the other hand, when surfers see a good wave, they make the most of it, get this, even in the midst of a storm. You could take a class on surfing. They'll teach you to get all the right equipment, how to notice a surfable wave, how to catch a wave, how to ride it, how to get off a wave. But you'll never find a course that teaches how to build a wave. Surfing is the art of riding waves that God builds. And as I look back in 25 years, that's exactly what we've done. 
We've got up every day like this farmer. We've sowed, we reaped, believing that God would bring waves. And I still believe that. I'm still looking for that wave that God has. I believe there's a wave coming on the East Coast. I really do. I think our time is coming. But that's what we're doing. We're riding waves that God builds. There was a movement called the Jesus Movement in the book of Acts. There was another Jesus Movement about 60 years ago that Calvary Chapel was birthed out of. And to understand that wave and what it was like, Chuck Smith was at the center of it. For 17 years, Chuck was a bivocational pastor. For 17 years, Chuck's church never really grew. And Chuck really never liked hippies. In fact, he had never really seen one close up. And he had his son invite one over so he could kind of inspect what a hippie looked like. That hippie wound up being the impetus for what happened at Calvary Chapel, like Greg Laurie to Christ, the rest is history. And God birthed the movement. And that was a wave that God built. The charismatic movement in the Catholic Church was a wave. Azusa Street Revival was a wave. There's been many waves of God's spirit. When I look at our 25 years, and I look at what has guided us, I think it's what will guide us in the future. I want to share a few of these distinctives with you, because I think they're important for your life and as we continue on. The first one was this, where God guides, he provides. Man, that's so important. I could sit with you over a long dinner and tell you in the life of my marriage and family where God guides, he provides. In the history of our church, God did the same thing. We had a leadership team together. We couldn't find a building. And we looked at buildings and we, we didn't like them. And I would go back to my old church and my pastor said, I thought you started a church. I'm like, ah, we can't find a building. One day a guy calls me up and says, I think I have a building. I open the doors and I'm like, this is it. This is what I saw in my dreams. Pepto-Bismol colored walls, scaffolding, painted chips from the ceiling. It was detestable, but I knew it was God. God had provided. Plus, it was only $50 a week. <laughs> and we got started. Later, when we got our sea legs, we were in a high school, and we wanted to go to the media theater. Uh, went to church there. Theater said they weren't interested, and we needed the school across the street for children's ministry, the media school district said, uh, not only won't you do ministry there, don't even ever come back and ask again. Long story short, we did five years in the media theater. I had a pastor come to me uh, from media when we finally got here, and he said, how'd you do it? I'm like, how'd I do what? How'd you do church in the media theater? They always said no to us, and the school always said no. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe it was our time. Where God guides, he provides. We built this during a recession. There wasn't even a road here. The road stopped at the, at the theater up the street. And you can tell story after story. Where God guides, he provides. The problem is we're like Larry the lawn chair guy. God, I'm going to sell everything, quit my job, go to Africa, and you'll provide. No, God guides where he provides. If he guided you to Africa, he'll provide. But some of us want God to provide where he hasn't guided. And that's always a problem. The second thing is, we've always relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a verse that says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. A lot of people think you could do ministry if you just have money. Or if you just have the right facilities or the right resources. You could do ministry if you understand the work of the Spirit. When I say the work of the Spirit, I'm not talking about sign gifts. 
healing and speaking in tongues. Like We always equate that with the work of the Spirit, which it is. The work of the Spirit for me is that when you look back, you knew God had to do the work or it was impossible. When I started this church, I was 31 years old with three kids, a full-time job, coaching baseball and basketball, living a normal life, and then added this on top of everything for the first three and a half years. No computers back then, right? Life was harder, and yet we all did it. And you look back, and if it was in the flesh, we would all burn out. It would never happen. And that's how you could tell it was the Spirit of God. Every time we got tired, God would bring somebody along. The Spirit would empower somebody else. Um, we had this guy who set up our first church. I'm telling you, he was a bodybuilder. I found his picture in a magazine. He would put one speaker here, one speaker here, walk from the balcony, set the whole place up. This guy ate five cheesesteaks at Pat's. Is that unbelievable? And just when he was getting burned out, somebody else came along. We started with one worship leader and a guitar. And then somebody said, well, I can sing and I can play. And then we had a worship team. Our first Easter, our first full-blown worship team, we rehearsed. We were all excited. One minute to ten, somebody decided to make hot tea in the kitchen and blew the whole system out. Still see the worship leader. He's got sweat dripping trying to fix that thing. And we're trying to act like we're getting started late. It was crazy. But those are the things God wants you to drive through. We have to be intentional, right? We're going we're gonna to have to crash through some obstacles. But God is faithful where he guides, where he provides. And then he's faithful to make the load bearable. The third thing we did was to invest God's resources in God's people. We feel like we give our staff and lay leaders the best training. We take them to the best conferences. We've been all over the world in, in missions, local, global. And then finally, our distinctive was we would unleash the power of God's word one verse at a time. We've taught Genesis to Revelation three times, and we'll keep doing it. We'll do series now and again, but we believe the word of God is the only catalyst for life change. Now, whenever you have a celebration, you should always think of things you're thankful for and then things you like to see in the future. I want to mention three things that I'm thankful for. Number one, God's protection. Man, I, I go to a lot of pastor's meetings. I'm at conferences. I know a lot of church leaders. And so many of them had to deal with things I've never had to deal with. I don't know a church leader who hasn't had some form of an adultery on their church staff. You've all read about um, what has happened to kids in some children's ministry, church splits. I mean, I can go on and on. For some reason, God has spared us in this. Now, we've been somewhat intentional. If you get down to our children's ministry, there's glass everywhere, there's security. You know, we've put things in place, but so have others. Somehow God's protected us in that area, and I am so grateful for that. Second thing I'm grateful for is the generosity of this church. Uh, not only the generosity of those who give in the offering, we've been able to do great things and we haven't had to worry about money much in our history and I'm thankful for that. But I also see what goes on in the congregation. I usually find out about it in backdoor ways. A lot of you, instead of trading your cars in, give them to people in need. Some of you have sent people to Bible college or missions trips. Uh, paid people's rent, bought them vehicles. I could go on and on and on. Not only does it happen among the congregation, it's happened to me. I took four couples out on what I call a generosity dinner. 
where I took them out to dinner and said, here's why we're here. In the last 15 years, you guys have helped me raise a family while doing church ministry. When I didn't have enough money, you guys stepped in and you did this or that, and we were able to do things that we couldn't afford, and I just want to say that I'm thankful for you guys for what you've done just for me. Forget the congregation. There was a guest speaker here one time who said, I know the secret of what goes on here. You guys are a pilgrimage church. I'm like, what does that mean? He goes, well, I know you do a lot of Bible tours, a lot of missions trips. He goes, the fruit of that is when I walk around your church, I see old people with young people. Generations are mixed. People don't want to leave. That's because they've done stuff together. And again, I'm ever grateful for that. And then... I'm thankful for the authenticity and genuineness of our people. I I mentioned earlier, the East Coast is a tough place to do ministry. People don't think we're friendly. But you know what's great? When somebody on the East Coast gets saved, they're real. Right? They didn't grow up in the South or the Bible Belt where it's just another thing. They're excited about Jesus, and it shows. No one on our staff's ever been here for a paycheck. No one's ever mailed it in. And I appreciate the genuineness and the authenticity. What are the three things I like to see in the future? We got here through innovation and risk. Not betting the farm like Larry, the lawn chair guy, but just hearing the whisper of God and then be willing to step out. It's very easy at 25 years to start to preserve or hang on or just rest on our laurels. What I would like to see in the upcoming years is a new generation arise where we can give them our wisdom and we can take their passion and youthfulness and see God do great things in the next 25 years. We want to build a mentoring culture, a leadership pipeline. You're going to hear a lot about internships. I read a book recently where a man talked about the 75% rule, where 75% of all our people in visible leadership on a weekend would be the average age or younger of people in that community. And we're fighting hard for that. We brought our staff age down, I think, something like 43.5 years old. And again, that's going to be a big part of what we're going to do. Second thing I like to see us become is a word and power church. Now, when I became a believer, I got saved into an extreme charismatic church. And then when I found Calvary, I found kind of the balance, the word-centered church. The problem is churches go one way or the other, right? I like to see that meet up together. Now, I'm a fan of the gifts. I'm a fan of charismata. I'm not a fan of charismania, which is helping God out, like bringing people on a stage and convincing everybody the Holy Spirit's working. There are people that have given me prophetic words in the last two years that happen on a lawn, a side room, a back room. It doesn't have to be on a stage. The Holy Spirit can move wherever he wants. He's like the wind. I would like to see the gifts and the merging of the word of God come together and I think that's where the power is, where the word and the spirit agree. I like us to be ascending church. Use a metaphor here. Some of you think church is a cruise ship. Walk in, get my coffee, bagel. Kids go down to a nice warm room. It's well decorated, staff's all there. Uh, I come up, I sit in a comfortable chair. I go to a little picnic, and I'm on a cruise ship. Other people think, no, this is a battleship. Straighten up, and we're going to nuke the world because they're so evil. (laughs) 
I think we should be an aircraft carrier. I think we should be this entity, this organism, this organization that is sending people out. A, sending us out Monday through Saturday. We come here, we get excited, we get sent out. I think we're going to send people out. We want to start an extension campus, more towards Haverford, Bryn Mawr, more towards Manion, Conshohocken area. I'm going to talk about Greenhouse in a minute, what we're going to do in Chester. By the way, you know sometimes church growth happens through kind of bad things, right? People get mad at you, they go off and start something and God does something good. That happened in the Bible with Paul and Barnabas and Mark. And so we've done that too and we've sent people and people have gone on. I mean, God does what he wants, right? But I really want us to be a sending church. And then I want us to be a diverse church. Now this is complicated. Uh, I really believe the teaching of the scriptures brings whoever God desires, right? And it's true, there are people that like homogenous communities, right? Like there's white churches, there's Indian churches, black churches, all kinds of churches. Uh, but God has given us a wonderful flavor of diversity. And let me say this, diversity isn't black and white. Does everybody understand that? There was a day when we had worship up here where I wanted to tell the congregation this, but I didn't think it was politically correct. But if you looked at the stage, uh, the leader was Puerto Rican. Um, drummer was Armenian. There was a couple of white people, a couple of black people, a couple of Hispanic people. And yet we wouldn't think that because we just think black, white. Diversity is all across the spectrum. And it was a wonderful picture. And I think we're getting more diverse and we're going to get more intentional at being more diverse. I'd like to see that in the coming years. But more than anything, I want to catch a wave. I really do. I want to catch a wave, and here's the problem. Only God can build that wave. People say, Pastor Bob, what do you see for the next 10 years? I'm like, you know, I, I'm not Moses. There's no mountain around here that I can go up on and get some vision. Moses had no vision, but there was a bush that was burning, and he was called aside, and God gave him a vision. There's a wave coming. We're going to catch it. What is it? I have no idea. But we're going to continue grinding and planting seed until it comes. We're going to do Christianity Explored. We're going to look at extension campuses and all kinds of things. But what I want to end on is three initiatives that are uh, really close to our hearts. And I think you all got this, I'm doing a new thing card on the way in. It has our scripture on the back, Isaiah 43, 19, that we launched this church out. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. If you open up that card, the first thing there is Innovate Academy. Innovate Academy started this year. We're supposed to start in 2019. We started a year early. We prayed for 30 students. We have 27. I was at a conference in Dallas where all the schools with two to 300 kids started with way less than we started with. We started what's called a university model. That's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, three days of on-site learning. And then Monday and Friday, it's home learning that we prepare via computer. The beauty of this is uh, most schooling, there's a lot of wasted time. I think you know that. If you went to school or sent your kids to school, there's so much wasted time. 
We think we can accomplish in three days what most schools can accomplish in five days and give families the flexibility to go away or do learning with their kids so they have skin in the game. It's way more affordable. And I got to tell you, I walk the halls almost every day. And I look at some of these classes, and these kids are getting like a Shipley education, if you know what that is. I mean, it is just, they have rock star teachers with small classrooms, and it's only going to get better. I think one day we'll be as known for what we do and innovate as we are known for what we do in the church. The second one you haven't heard a lot about, it's Greenhouse. Now, we've done a lot of ministry locally. We believe in local and global. We think you should do half of all ministry right here in our backyard. We've gone to the Bronx for years. We've gone to Kensington. We've been all over the place. But we always said one day that God would give us our own signature ministry, and he has. John Clifford, who I mentioned earlier, has come on our staff. And John was an addict, was in prison, and for 10 years worked at City Team in Chester. John came on our staff with a vision of working alongside of us and then launching Greenhouse. Now, Greenhouse isn't some pie-in-the-spy, pie-in-the-sky thing that's coming. We just cut a $25,000 check and bought a ministry house in Chester that we're going to start doing ministry out of. You can applaud. The the name Greenhouse means God can grow things in very difficult areas. Seed will grow even in hard soil. And then the final one is an encounter ministry path that we're building. You might think, where the heck are you building that? Um, When you come in our loop, it's down to the right. There's wetlands down there. Uh, We've had an arborist out. We've had people that have done stuff at Longwood Gardens. Uh, We want to have a serene place where people can leave all this activity and just go take a walk with a friend. There'll be guided prayer paths there. Uh, There'll be a little grotto for people to take communion. We can go down there in small groups. We're going to build this with our own contractors. It's not going to cost a lot of money. Um, We're excited about this. We're trying to build a culture of prayer. We have a prayer room, Thursday night prayer. So what we did is we put all these together and we put this 25-year giving thing together, every year we do a December giving initiative, which is kind of a catch-up fund. People are gone a lot of weekends in the summer, etc., and we're like, you know, here's a catch-up fund where we can get ahead of these three initiatives. It's really not in our budget. So we thought, why not start it a little earlier this year? Instead of waiting for December 1st, let's start at the 25th anniversary. So we'll run this all the way up to January, and you can put it in the regular offering. You can go on our push pay on the app can send checks to the office, whatever you want to do. But if you would get behind these endeavors, uh, we would be very grateful for that. A couple final things we want to do. I think God would encourage us to give, and again, we've been generous. And then prayer, as I mentioned, is very important. Jim Maxim came to our church when I was a young pastor. God actually put that on his heart, that he wanted to go to a church that had a young pastor. And when Jim came here, he was a businessman, and we became friends and did many things together. And I watched Jim do ministry while he was doing business. And then late in his business career, God kind of blew things up for him. He wrote a book, got involved with Jim Simbola in prayer ministry, and now has a ministry where he leads prayer meetings for churches literally around the country. 
And Jim's written a book called 21 Days of Breakthrough Prayer. And we're going to start 21 Days of Prayer for Calvary Chapel today, where we're hoping you'll get on board and pray for 21 days. And we hope this ignites prayer in your life so you can see the things and the desires God's put in your heart help you to grow and help them come to fruition. So Jim, can you come on up and tell us how this works? Well, first of all, Pastor Bob, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for a couple things. One, I want to... I knew you were going to do this. Great. <laughs> I want to thank him because you're a genuine man of God. And as a business guy... Yes, give him a hand. Give him a hand. <laughs> He's also a Marine. He is. I'm dead serious. Hoorah! <laughs> This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. My <laughs> rifle is mine. I love you for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, the biggest reason is you're not a phony. Mm. You are who you are. You're the same on this stage on, as, <laughs> as you are when you're trying to steal a three-foot putt from me. <laughs> but without you and your wife, I wouldn't be the man that I am today. I appreciate and that. And I, I, I mean that from the bottom of my soul. God that. used you and to bless Kathy and I, you and Monica. I appreciate that. Because as a business guy, you don't, the church as a whole doesn't do a very good job of teaching business guys how to engage in the church. How, mm. Because my ministry is not in the church. My ministry is outside of the church yeah. to ignite the church, to yeah. do different things with pastors and whatnot. But God used you to launch me. And yes, this is our second book, and churches around the nation are buying this by the thousands. And what God has done with this book is just unbelievable because what's unique about the book is it, we went into the studio and recorded 21 days of intercession that coincide with the book. So when you're reading day five, you go on our website, acts413.net, click on day five, and whatever you read about, we're going to be there with you praying out loud about what you just read. And what's important with that is what we wrote is nice and everything, but when we went into the studio and recorded this, the presence of God was so powerful upon these prayers. Now, you were in uh, Mark chapter 4 today. Yeah. And Mark 4 says this, two verses before you started. The secret for you as a lay person like me, somebody in the pew, not called the, quote, ministry up here on the stage, but we're all called to ministry, and God has a destiny for each of you. And God wants to unlock that destiny if you'll take a step. Nine out of ten people haven't shared their faith with somebody outside their family in ten years. That's mind-boggling to me. How does that happen? God wants to ignite this within you. Mark 4, 24 says this. Here's the secret. For as much as you use... That's as much as you get. Wow. Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not natural, man-made, or carnal, but divine weapons for the pulling down of strongholds. And with these weapons, we can bring every negative thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Do you know that you have weapons? Do you even know where your trigger for that weapon is? With this 21-day journey, I promise you this. I promise you this, because this is God's promise. God could have promised the church a whole lot of things to ignite us, 
But what did he say? If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, that I would hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Do you need a marriage healed? Do you need a son or daughter delivered? Do you need a financial breakthrough? Do you need that thing to get you through to the next level that you really want to? All of you are here because you have a desire for God. If you'll go on this journey every day with God, with God, get up early, set the alarm clock early, get up, go on this 21-day journey. And then in 21 days, I understand we're going to have a prayer gathering here, a prayer meeting here. We're like the crescendo. Take the book. Pastor Bob bought a 1,000 copies. They're sitting out there. If you take the book, start on day one, go to our website, click on day one, we'll be there with you, helping you over these next 21 days so that your breakthrough, your personal breakthrough, if it's for you, your son, daughter, niece, nephew, whatever, your personal breakthrough is guaranteed. Why? Because God says, when my people call out to me, I will answer. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. As Jim said, on your way out, there's a table there. Take a book. Use it for yourself 21 days. Give it away to someone else. This is a powerful tool. It's yours. The last thing I want to say is, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a shepherd. That's really what I am. Uh, it sounds strange, but you can't do this unless you have a shepherd's heart. I really care about you guys, and I care about you, and then I want you to go from A to B in what God has for you. I might not always listen to you. I might not know your name or remember. I might not be touchy-feely or the way you want me to be, but I want you to get from A to B. And I think of David who said that he shepherded the people with the integrity of heart, and with skillful hands he led them. The greatest thing in leadership, is it about people or a task? Someone once said, if you're at a party, it's about people. If you're fighting a fire, it's about the task. We've got to find a way for that to meet. 